Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am very pleased to be your host. Uh, Before we get into everything else, per usual, if you would please interact with the product a bit, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review... And if you can't, won't, or don't want to, or already have done any of the and all of the above, feel free to share. Uh, whatever your social media platform of choice happens to be, or any people you happen to know in real life, that's still a thing people can do. Point anyone in the direction of the program, and uh, especially if you think they'd enjoy it. That would help tremendously. As always, I thank you all so very, very much for all the work that you, for all of your support. However you can give it, it means a lot. All right. On the agenda this evening, a little bit of boxing, not much. I promise not to talk too much about it, but uh, we had a darn good fight in the boxing world last night. We also have UFC on ESPN 36, that's what we're going to talk mostly about. Which, uh, not a great card on paper, but again, had a few things that you could, you know, look forward to. And turned out okay. Pacing issues. We'll get into the specifics, but... Uh, unfortunate main event. Uh, we will also preview UFC on ESPN Plus 64. That is this coming Saturday. And, uh, well... It's another one that's not great on paper. This is actually worse than the last one, if we're just talking about how it looks on paper. So, we will go over that and uh, see how that... Give you the full preview. And, of course, news of the week, such as it is. So, that's what's on the agenda. All right. Already done everything else, so let's talk Turkey. UFC on ESPN 36 last night. Your main event. Unfortunate. Uh, Jan Blahovich defeats Alexander Rakic via TKO, a knee injury to Rakic at 111 of the third round. Uh, this really sucked. They This fight was not a barn burner, but it was a pretty good fight. Uh, I thought Blahovich had taken the first, not by a huge margin, but I thought I gave it to him. Uh, Rakic had landed a couple of good jabs. In fact, he had a, opened a really nasty cut. Uh, not nasty in that it was deep or whatnot, but it was in a really bad spot. It was right on the, like, uh, right by the nose and the uh, lower, like, right around the eye, the lower eyelid, like that corner of your eye, right, where it kind of meets your nose. A really bad spot. Wasn't a fight stopper, but if that got worse, it could have been. Uh, but Blahovich, I thought, did the better striking in the first round. Uh, both men were landing some gnarly calf kicks. Second round, Blahovich look, looks like he's starting to roll a little bit, and then Rakic gets a takedown and just spends the majority of that round from on top in full guard, working a pretty decent ground and pound pace. Third round, again, we barely get a minute into it. I was going a little bit back and forth again, and then just stepping back. Uh, Rakic's right knee just blew up. Uh, I don't think we've had specifics on the injury released yet, but from what happened, uh, the way it looks like as Rakic kind of steps back, and there's uh, there's a guy on YouTube, and I think it's Dr. Brian Sutter, uh, he will do uh, these medical breakdowns of injuries across all sports and whatnot, and he does stuff for the uh, on MMA events as well. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase him here. 
what he observed and all he had is the observation. So bear in mind, this could be a different injury, but this is what this appears to be. Uh, it looks like a pretty bad ACL injury. Uh, the ACL and the PCL both kind of stop your lower, they keep your lower leg, specifically your tibia, uh, connected to the humerus. Not humerus, sorry, the uh, femur. Humerus is in the arm. They, they, it, that's one of the things that those two ligaments do. They keep those bones connected, and they stabilize them. And if you look at Rakich, you can see his tibia, the, the lower part of, uh, the upper part of his lower leg, kind of displace forward and then return to its normal position. And that's when Rakich drops and grabs at his knee because, well, something terrible just happened. Uh, again, that's that's just what it looks like. So I'm going to assume it's an ACL injury until uh, some kind of con uh, you know, countering evidence shows up. Uh, like I said, really unfortunate. They were I had him around a piece. I think most people did. Uh, was really curious to see how this fight was going to go. Could still have gone either way. I mean, this isn't a case where, you know, Rakich was up two rounds and battering Blahovich. It wasn't that. This was a very even fight as far as it got. Uh, yeah, just unfortunate. I liked Rakich's chances to win. I think momentum was on his side, but that's hardly a... Yeah, that that's not at all to say that Blahovich was saved by a freak injury. He could very well have won this fight on his own merits. Uh, post fight, he said he wants another shot at the belt. Uh, we've got Teixeira and Yuri Prochka coming up. Assuming there's a clear winner to that, and I've said before, I like. I'm not going to be shocked if Glover Teixeira wins that, but I do lean towards Yuri Prochka. Uh, I don't know. I just don't think Teixeira does well with um, with violence at this point in time. I mean, he's been hurt pretty badly in most of his recent fights. Now, to his eternal credit, he's gutted through it, but I just uh, that's where I lean. So, but yeah, we could easily get Blahovich a rematch. Uh, you've still got Mag Magomed Ankalaev out there. Anthony Smith is still fairly highly ranked. So there's there's a surprising amount of options at light heavyweight at the moment. And all of this, of course, is pursuant to a clean finish to Yuri Prochka and Glover Teixeira. If those two have a knockdown drag-out war that ends in a draw or a very hotly contested split decision, you might get an immediate rematch. Uh, there's... Again, the UFC can kind of do whatever they want here, so... Again, a lot of ways we can go. Wouldn't be shocked if it's Blahovich. Just going to throw that out there. <clears throat> Uh, it was a pretty good fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, don't really know what else to say about that. Hope Rakich recovers quickly. I still think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, he's a big guy. He's physical. He's pretty good on the feet. He's got a good wrestling game. Like he's a he's a he's a legitimate top light heavyweight. Uh, somebody said this on Twitter, and I think it's appropriate. You know, you couldn't have had better commentators for this for this fight in particular. Our commentary team was, you had Brendan Fitzgerald, Dominic Cruz, and Michael Bisbing, and, uh, again, Bisbing and Cruz is an odd pairing, because I think they can work, uh, but I also think they also, they can get a little bit, uh, catty pretty, pretty easily, like, they need, they need a pretty firm hand, either in the play-by-play -play role or whoever's produ whoever's directing or producing, 
uh, needs to kind of keep them on a tighter leash when they're together. But in this one fight, we had Blahovich had nearly lose an eye with a bad cut, and then Rakic's knee exploded. So, uh, yeah, just a little bit of uh, the oddity of the universe. So that was, uh, yeah, again, it, it's unfortunate. It was a Again, this wasn't a great... I mean, we only had two rounds and they're light heavyweights, and it's rare that you get a great two-round fight at light heavyweight. But it was a good fight. So, yeah, just just unfortunate. Co-main event was also in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Ryan Spann defeated Iwan Kutalaba via guillotine choke, 222 of the first. I was shocked when I saw the odds had Kutalaba as a favorite for this. I, I don't gamble, but... If I could have, if I did, plus money on Span for this fight would have been a fairly easy bet. You might still lose it because it's the nature of betting, but again, getting plus money on Ryan Span against Kutalaba—that's that's a bet I would have taken if I were a gambling man. Uh, solid win for Span. Uh, you know, it was what it was. It didn't last all that long. Span's a big guy, pretty rangy, got a good front headlock game. He's just been inconsistent more than anything else. If you can find some of that... Consi That's only partially true. The problem that he ran into is not so much inconsistency so much as... Uh, he's lost a couple of key fights. I mean, he's only lost twice in the UFC. The problem is his wins haven't aged all that well as a general rule. He's got wins over Luis Enrique, not in the UFC. Little Nog, who was on his way out the door. Sam Alvey, who's Sam Alvey, and they only went to a split. He lost to Johnny Walker. He beat Misha Serkinov, who at one time was a fairly well-regarded prospect, but has kind of fallen off since. Lost to Anthony Smith, and here he beats Iwan Kutilaba. So, he can beat a certain level of opposition, but anytime he's taken a bit of a step up, he's run into some serious problems. Uh, that said, I, he's clearly got a lot of ability, and I I favored him to win here. I w again, I was very surprised when I saw the odds. Like, uh, so, get Span another ranked guy. If he can't hang at that level, he can't hang at that level. But he was ranked coming into this, I think, 14 or 15. Outside the top 10, but still ranked. Uh, let him fight another ranked guy. It's you know, He's beaten up enough of the unranked guys that it's probably time we give him a shot. Uh, again, that was your co-main. Solid finish from Span. So, so you know, no complaints there. Uh, bantamweight, Davey Grant defeated Louis Smolka via knockout. Uh, this was a calf kick to punches. 49 seconds of the third round. This was a great fight. Grant had the first uh, power-punching guy. Swings a little bit wide, but he kept a good pace. Was landing some gnarly calf kicks. Smolka got dropped. Got hurt pretty badly when he was dropped, too. Uh, second round... Grant gets a little bit away from the kicks, and his punches slow down a touch. Smolka starts finding him with straighter punches. Smolka just can't string together enough offense to really make a push. He still wins that round. But getting back into the third, Grant remembers he should be calf-kicking. He lands a couple. Smolka shoots for a bad single leg in desperation. Grant sprawls, uh, gets on top, and pounds him out. Solid win for Davy Grant. Davy Grant is pretty much appointment viewing. Uh, this was a good fight. For me, this was fight of the night, but the UFC disagreed. Uh, shock of shocks. They gave it to our next, uh, so, you know, Grant's, 
he had this weird thing. He debuted for the UFC coming off of some season of The Ultimate Fighter, where he lost to Chris Holdsworth, who was forced into retirement by TJ Dillashaw injuring him in training. Uh, which, so, if you wonder why I don't care much for TJ Dillashaw, that's uh, that's one of the reasons. Uh, he then took like three years off, well, two and a half, comes back, beats Marlon Vera, those two would rematch later, but loses to Damian Stasiak, loses to Manny Bermudez, beats Grigory Popov, that was a close fight, knocks out Martin Day, knocks out Jonathan Martinez, both of those are good, uh, were good wins, loses in a rematch to Marlon Vera because Marlon Chito Vera has become a very, very good fighter. Has a heck of a fight with Adrian Yanez. Drops a split decision. I agreed with Yanez winning. Here knocks out Smolka. Uh, this was his, He had bonus in his last four fights. Did not get a bonus here. I maintain, man, who, the post-fight bonuses did this fight dirty. This should have been your fight of the night. Pretty handily. They gave it instead. Uh, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about Smolka. He's, a, he's an exciting guy to have around. But I think we've pretty much seen his ceiling at this point. Uh, they gave fight of the night to Caitlin Chukagian, defeating Amanda Hebos via split decision. These were 29-28s. Um, Hebos had the first. Second was close. Chukagian the third. I gave it to Chuk- I gave Chukagian the fight. But 29-28 either way is perfectly acceptable. Um, this should not have been fight of the night, though. This was not a bad fight. Let me stress this. Not a bad fight. But I guarantee you Dana White gave it to them because of how they closed. They both just kind of stood in the pocket and screamed at each other while swinging punches. Uh, Vehemently disagree with this getting fight of the night. This was maybe the third best fight of the night uh, from where I was sitting. Uh, Yeah, this was third for me. So, I mean, I'm not going to object to... uh, It just did a better fight dirty. That's all I'm saying. Uh, decent enough win for Chukagian. You know, her style creates mostly boring fights. Unless she's fighting a very aggressive fighter, then it can kind of become a, come to life a little bit. The problem is she got she already was massacred by Valentina Shevchenko. She might get a rematch. They might have to give her a rematch at some point. Uh, that's assuming Valentina Shevchenko beats Tyler Santos, which is not a given. I like her chances there, and I, I will pick her pretty easily, but Tyler Santos is, uh, she's also not a, you know, a, 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 what, a cab driver who's been drug into that. Tyler Santos is very, she's a talented fighter, too. So, Chukagian, again, she's kind of lobbying for a title shot. I don't think there's appetite for it. Again, there, her first fight with Shevchenko was not competitive, and I don't think a rematch would be either, but you might have to do that at some point anyway. Uh, if not, she just wants to keep fighting. She'll She's happy to keep turning back contenders until they have to give her a title shot. Which is kind of the attitude you have to have if you're in her position, I guess. Uh, yeah, as for Hebos, I don't think flyweight's for her. She's bounced a little bit between flyweight and strawweight, and I... I don't know if the strawweight cuts a real drain on her. It might be. Or if she thought, you know, if I can get a shot with the number one contender at flyweight... And I can beat her, I can get an immediate title shot, which is probably true. I mean, Flyweight's very hard up for <laughs> for contenders. I mean, they Santos is ranked fifth, I believe, because of how the UFC does their ranking systems. And they gave her the shot because, well, Shevchenko's beaten everybody else. 
So you've got a short road to the t to the champion at flyweight. You just have a nightmare monster waiting to devour you at the top. Well, uh, again, that was technically your fight of the night. It's not a bad fight. I, I I just don't think they should have won those honors, but this was a good fight. Mostly. Uh, lightweight. Manuel Torres defeated Frank Camacho via TKO punches. 327 of the first. This was a wild little brawl. Uh, lovely finishing sequence from Torres. He slips back, just kind of pulls and fades a right hand from Camacho. Then hits him with a left hook. Uh, and then a right hook and just sits him down. Uh, solid debut from... I believe this was Torres' debut. You, you stop a guy like Frank Camacho, that says something. You know, Camacho is, he's not unbeatable, but he's not the easiest guy in the world to stop. And this was a fair stoppage. That was pretty good. Uh, flyweight, Alan Nascimento defeated Jake Hadley, unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. There was some fun scrambles and grappling here, but this was a lot of rinse and repeat, and that Hadley would kind of push on the feet, get taken down, and be a bit too complacent playing guard. Or not having quite the, um, he didn't quite seem to have an answer for what Nascimento was doing on top, so he kept Hadley was doing the same thing repeatedly, and it worked okay the first time, but it's one of those things that, I mean, there's a few of these. Like, if, you ever, if you've seen a fight where a fighter hits a, again, the kind of headlock takeover, the first one they hit tends to work pretty much all the time. Not always, but pretty much. The first one will work. You go for that again, it goes badly. Like you can surprise someone with it, but you can't. But it's very difficult to make it an integrated part of your game. Hadley's defense on the bottom seemed to be angle off with my hips, go to rubber guard, use Noma Plata to sweep, and the first time, it kind of worked. He kind of got towards the Omo Plata. They had to roll through, but Nascimento came up on top. Every other time Hadley tried that, it never got past the... Like, that, that submission never developed at all. So, it just a little bit caught up in playing his game, but his game was kind of the same thing over and over again, and just uh, the clock got away from him. Solid win for Nascimento. Again, not a bad fight. Uh, that was your main card as for the prelims. Viviani Araujo defeated Andrea Levy, unanimous decision, 29-28, and then two 29-27s. Um, yeah, I scored this for Araujo. I don't object to a 10-8. Uh, Lee hit some fatigue wall in the second. Uh, kind of barely got out of that round in some respects. Third round, she seemed to rebound, but just really struggled to consistently get out from under Araujo. Uh, this was a decent little fight. Andrea, one of Andrea Lee's cornermen is getting some deserved flack, uh, Lee was complaining of an eye poke between rounds. I can't remember if it was between rounds one and two or rounds two and three. I think it was between two and three. And he just said, well, what do you expect? They're dirty effing Brazilians over there. And look, man, I understand. I understand the spirit of what he's trying to say. You're trying to keep your fighter in the right space. They say I got if a fighter complains about the about being fouled, you can't let them dwell on it. You have to keep them present. You don't get stuck up in the past. Don't worry about it. And so I understand kind of what he's trying to do. But if you decide that the best way to do this is 
you know, an insult on that level. I'm never entirely... I don't want to get myself in trouble when I say the following. It's always been a little bit unclear to me how much of this is racism versus nationalism. Uh, and this is not me making an excuse for what this guy said. You know, what he said is terrible, at a bare minimum, is terribly uncouth. Uh, I'm not calling for the U- I think he's a guy who fights in the UFC. I believe it's Tony Kelly. I'm not calling for him to be fired. I'm not calling for any of that, but I'm... Because I'm not sure what the appropriate... I'm not sure what the appropriate action is here. If the UFC cuts him over this, I'm not going to lose one minute of sleep over it. I won't even... I don't think I'll even bat an eye. Uh, but that's a, that's a UFC call, and they have to kind of figure out how to navigate these waters in some very tricky ways, because they don't want to step over into be. They have to walk very carefully, and this is not me... I'm not apologizing for the UFC here. This is so you all understand. If the UFC exercises too much control over their fighters, they can wind up crossing over a sort of invisible barrier that would take fighters from, from independent contractors towards employee status. And the UFC desperately wishes to avoid this for a variety of reasons. So when something like this happens, they tend not to do much because they're very cognizant of how close to this particular line they are. Yeah, I was around when they had their code when they tried to introduce their code of conduct. Nate Diaz said something on Twitter that was not terribly polite or politically correct. And they said, well, you know, we don't want so they came up with this, again, this code of conduct that says athletes cannot insult each other based on X, Y, and Z, which I believe included sexual orientation, religious belief systems, there's something else in there, and then promptly ignored it. I mean, all those things that Conor McGregor sa ha said and continues to say, you don't see you finding him. And so there's this, the UFC is in this weird spot where they... They don't want to bite the particular bullet of making fighters employees. And again, for understand for reasons that I understand if I'm the UFC, I don't think it's fair to the fighters, and frankly, I do think UFC fighters, I think fighters with the UFC probably do qualify for employee status rather than independent contractor status. But that's just me, and I am not part of the NLRB, so my opinion doesn't really count for anything. But... The long and the short of that is whenever something like this happens, they don't do a whole lot about it, partially because they're worried about drawing too much ire regarding how much control they exercise over their independent contractors. Now again, what the what this gentleman said is at a bare minimum, uh, un, it's a bare minimum uncouth. The, the point about I don't know how much of this is nationalism versus racism is only the following. Brazil is a melting pot, not exactly like the United States, but not as far off as you might think. Uh, Brazil has a wildly diverse population, uh, owing in no small part. Look, the history of Brazil is a little bit similar to the United States in that they were, you know, there were the indigenous peoples that were there when Brazil was colonized, and then Brazil imported a metric ton of slaves, like. Not to excuse slavery in the United States, slavery is a moral atrocity. 
but in the interest of historical accuracy, more slaves went to Brazil or to the uh, Arabian Peninsula, to the Middle East, than came to the United States. So there's a there's a reason that you get people who have physical characteristics as divergent in the in Brazil as on used UFC fighters here. Damian Maya does not look like Anderson Silva, does not really look like Jessica Andrade. Uh, it's a diverse country, that which is the point I'm making here. Diverse country, diversity is not a bad thing at all. So, when he says you're a... Again, calling someone a dirty effing whatever is a pretty vile thing to say. How much of that, again, boils down to racism versus nationalism is... And that gets a little bit murkier for me if I'm trying to make some kind of moral judgment about what is said. Uh, I mean, again, would you... Would you call it racist if someone's in your... If, if we... I mean, look, one of the ways you, I test this is if I replace X with something similar, would you consider it racist or would you consider it something else? So if, you know... If it was Marvin Vittori who had eye-poked somebody and they said, well, you expect he's a dirty effing Italian, would you consider that racist? Yeah, yeah, I think I would. So, yeah, I, I kind of thought through this on air a little bit, so I apologize for you uh, not being interested, but for going that little meandering journey with me. So, yeah, it's it's a bit racist. Uh, so, I, again, I don't know what kind of fallout is going to come about from that. Uh, I like Andrea Lee as a fighter. I think she's a good fighter, but she's never sorted out a couple of issues, and... Look, some of that was some of that could be attributed to her. Uh, I mean, her former fiance, boyfriend—I forget exactly what their relationship—who was like physically abusive to her. He was the guy with the Nazi, with like the swastika tattooed. Uh, it got that got shown on the broadcast. He normally covers it up. And um, look, he got—if you believe him—and I will take him at face value about where he got it when he was in prison. Now. The United States prison system is basically a world unto itself. If you have to, you have to do things in that ecosystem that are not at all commensurate with the outside world. And that's like I I don't judge anybody for what they have to do to survive in prison if they're there for any length of time. Just I, I'm not going to do it. When you get out, you should have done something about that. And especially when the response to people pointing out, "Wow, this guy's got a swastika." Like this is not one of those even like. That's not even an attempt to hide it. Like, there's ways you can kind of... There's ways, um, if you look at kind of uh, racial iconography, especially white supremacist racial iconography, they try to come up with ways to hide things uh, a lot of the time. Not always, but a lot of the time. You know, putting just a straight-up swastika on your arm, like, there's no ambiguity here. But the response from her, from both of them, both Andrew Lee and her boyfriend, and, again, I give Lee a little bit of leeway on this, because if you're in a physically abusive relationship, especially if it's been going on for a while, your worldview is going to become a little bit warped. But they... Uh, that wasn't handled well by anyone. I mean, to say nothing of the fact that you've got a... I mean, how is there not someone who knows some production assistant, someone on, again, someone of the, of the broadcast crew, who is aware of some of these things and goes, hey, put something around, you know, tape that up. Yeah, anyway, that's a different thing. Uh, again, so I, 
I like Lee as a fighter, but she really needs... There's some issues she has to work out. Her wrestling defense is a little bit lackluster. And she's got good offense, but she never moves her head when she starts striking. Which is a problem. Uh, that said, in terms of purely in terms of actions, it's not a bad fight. Uh, solid enough win for Araujo, who's a pretty darn good flyweight. Uh, lightweight is up next. Michael Johnson defeated Alain Patrick via knockout punches, 322 of the second. About what was expected. Michael Johnson did not get a post-fight bonus for this. He got uh, he got done a little bit dirty as well. Uh, I'll go over that a little bit. But uh, look, Michael Johnson's a very... He, I've said this before. If he could operate at the best of what he is capable of for any consider, considerable length of time, he could be champion. The problem is he can't. I mean, this is a guy who's almost a 500 fighter, uh, by which I mean his re- his wins and losses are almost even. His record is 20 and 17. He just ended a four-fight losing streak with this win. He's been with the UFC since 2010. But if you look at some of the guys he's beaten, he's got some really good wins, believe it or not. I mean, he beat Tony Ferguson for a long time. He was the only fight fighter to beat Tony Ferguson in the UFC. He knocked out Danny Castillo. He knocked out Glayson Tebow. He beat Edson Barboza. He knocked out Dustin Poirier. There's some serious wins on this guy's resume. Uh, his fight with Benil Daryush, like he probably should have won that fight. I haven't rewatched it in a while, but that was split and a lot of people weren't happy with Daryush getting the nod. When he's on, this guy can fight with the very best. But he's never found the appropriate level of consistency, and that's kind of been his big problem. Uh, but this was a nice knockout from him. Uh, he and Patrick threw down, so th- this was a pretty good fight. Uh, women's strawweight, Virna Janziroba defeated Angela Hill via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, Hill wound up getting a little bit the better of things on the feet, but was taken down pretty consistently. And struggled from underneath. So, uh, good win for Janjiroba. Uh, flyweights, Tatsuro Taira defeated Carlos Candelaria of unanimous decision. 230-27-130-26. Taira had very good back control. Uh, I give Candelario a lot of credit for his defense from the back because it was he was very close to being finished a few different times and kind of was able to navigate his way through those waters, but uh, Tyra looked pretty good for his debut. And kicking everything off, Andre Petrosky defeated Nick's Maximo via technical submission. This was an anaconda choke, 116 of the first. Um, everything good. I'm just going to say this about Petrosky. I tend to take as dim a view of people who have the, uh, like, hammer and sickle, the... Uh, you know the, the Soviet, uh, the Soviet Russian tattoo on them as I do people who have the swastika. I take a very dim view of that, and Petrosky has one. Um, he's addressed it a little bit, and I mean it's a solid black tattoo, like it's all black. So I don't know how viable it is to cover it up or what have you, or if he even wants to. Again, that's he's free to do what he chooses, but that's another bit of iconography that uh, I take a very dim view of people who fly. Uh, for reasons that should be fairly obvious. Uh, Maximov tried a really bad shot. I don't think he, I don't know that he was hurt from anything, but he tried this really bad single leg from too far outside. 
Petrosky kind of sprawled on him. Got the Anaconda choke. It was a really nice choke from Petrosky. Uh, put uh, put Maximov to sleep. You know, solid stuff from Petrosky here. Uh, and, you know, again, the fight didn't last long, but that was a good finish. But that was the event. There were only, what, 13 fights? Seven. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, there are only 11. The problem is, despite there only being 11 fights, they still wanted to do the six hours of broadcast time from start to finish. There was a ton of downtime on this card. Uh, pretty much any time we got a finish, we wound up airing a another hype video for the main event. Uh, there was a lot of downtime. This was a rough... Th the event here was paced pretty badly. Uh, they really should have just been content to shave an hour off the usual six-hour broadcast time because they probably could have for this one. Uh, your post-fight bonuses, I've mentioned a few of these, uh, but fight of the night was Caitlin Chikagin and Amanda Hebos, which, again, that that screwed Grant and Smolka pretty hard. Performances, Ryan Spann and Manuel Torres. I would have gone Petrosky over Span. Torres, I, I have no issue with Torres. Uh, but this is one of those where I tend to think... Uh, you could have given Johnson and Petrosky the... You could have swapped Span and Torres with Petrosky and Johnson, and I think you wouldn't have had any complaints either. Like, uh, all the finishes on this card were pretty darn good. Yeah, and again, they didn't give Grant... You know, a performance bonus for knocking out Smolka either. So, yeah, Grant kind of got the short end of the stick here. But those are your bonuses. So, if you want my round-by-round -round scoring, as well as clips of the finishes and whatnot, that is up in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Go ahead and give it a read if you are so inclined. Uh, before I move on to previewing next week's card, very briefly from the round the rest of the uh, combat sports world. Let's see. Uh, Bellator had an event where uh, Logan Storley defeated MVP in a very boring fight. Uh, I tend to agree with the people who scored it for MVP, believe it or not. But I'm not yelling either way. This was a little bit like Rose and Esparza in that I don't care how you score that fight. You can you can cobble together 3-2 to two either way, and I don't think anyone's going to object. Uh, Leoto Machida got knocked out on that same card. Anything else on that card? And nothing else I really want to talk about. Uh, over to the world of boxing very briefly. Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño. Uh, these two fought to a draw. It was last year. That a lot of people, myself included, thought Castaño should have won. I thought he got jobbed out on that one. So we get the rematch. This was for all four belts at 154 pounds. The rematch, there is no controversy. Jermel Charlo knocks out Castaño in the 10th round. This was a great fight. I, if you haven't seen this, look it up. This was absolutely worth your time. Wonderful finish from Charlo. Uh, yeah, really good fight. Also in boxing news, uh, somebody who might be wi uh, about to throw a pretty serious wrench into the works at, at welterweight for boxing. So, 147. Uh, Jerron Ennis, nickname of Boots. He annihilated somebody, like second round knockout. Uh, to become the mandatory challenger for one of Errol Spence Jr.'s titles. 
Now, we're trying, boxing is trying to finally get together Errol Spence and Terrence Bud Crawford. That's been the that's been the fight to make in boxing, especially if we get it this, into this division, for like three years, at least. And for any number of reasons, it's never come about. Well, now, the, if Ennis doesn't take step-aside money, and I don't know if he will or not, he might, or you know, any number of other reasons might come up, but if Spence decides he'd rather fight Ennis than Crawford, we might lose Spence and Crawford because it's a little bit crazy to say that I would pick Jerron Ennis over Errol Spence because Spence is magnificent. Uh, I'm just saying Ennis is more than talented enough to do that if they make that fight next. So, wouldn't be surprised if he did. The only way I'm going to say that. Wouldn't be surprised. I would pick Spence if they make that fight, I, uh, but... Jerron Ennis is, uh, is a very, very good fighter. So I think that's everything I wanted to touch on from elsewhere in the combat sports world. All right, let's get on to preview action. UFC on ESPN plus 64. Your main event is Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieja. It's not a good fight. Um, how many fights are on this card? Hang on. Double check this. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Another eleven fight card. We're gonna have another terribly pissed event, aren't we? Well, this one will only be on ESPN Plus rather than on ESPN Two. That might help. Might, might not. Uh, as for the main event, I mean, I re- I have tremendous respect for what Holly Holm has accomplished across her combat sports career. I think she's one of the most. Uh, I mean, if you look at someone who, who, you know, became a legitimate world champion in boxing, became a legitimate champion in MMA, I mean, the premier champion in MMA, briefly, like, ended up, for a combat sports at a relatively advanced age, she got started a little bit later in MMA. I mean, she's 40 now. Uh, I have a lot of, again, I have a lot of respect for that. She's on a two-fight winning streak, but I just, she's been off for a while the last fight was October of 2020 when she beat Irene Aldana. What's she been doing since? Oh, yeah, she had a knee injury. Yeah, she was supposed to fight in October of last year. She was supposed to fight Norma Dumont. Um, she had to pull out of a fight with Juliana Pena before that. Um, yeah, just, I mean... Look, 40's a rough age to still be fighting at. I mean, even if you get to the heavier weight classes where it's not as big a deal, it's still not great. Um, well, again, pretty long layoff. I mean, unfortunately for Vieja, she's uh, she's coming off a win over Misha Tate. That was, a, um, that was Tate's return fight, I seem to recall. November of last year. Um, if Vieja wins, she should probably be next for... I mean, that's pending what happens between Peña and Nunes in a rematch. I mean, they've been Vieja's been someone who they've kind of tried to get up to the title level before. Uh, then she got knocked out brutally by Irina Aldana. Uh, she had that weird fight where she lost to Yana Kunitskaya and missed weight and just never got out of the blocks on that one. Then she beat Misha Tate 
pretty handily when they fought. Now, that was over five rounds. Um, this is weird. Like, I don't think Holmes in a position where I should be picking her all that often anymore. But VA has also been very start and stop. I think I am going to pick Vieira here. I don't know if it's Vieira or Vieja, so I apologize. I go back and forth a little bit. I'm going to pick Vieja, but... No, I'm not. I'm, I, no, I'm not going to pick her. I'm going to pick home. I, Vieja's too upright in her stance. She's a bit too hittable. Uh, and she does a lot of her work in the clincher if she's able to get takedowns. I'm not saying she can't take home down, but... That's not an easy proposition. Holly Holm is a big woman. I mean, Vieja is not exactly small either. Yeah, I'm going to pick Holm, and I'm just... I mean, that's kind of a coin flip fight for me. Now, let's see. Next up, this one has some potential. Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio and Michelle Pereja. Pretty easy Ponzinibbio pick here. Uh, I mean, Ponzinibbio had that really long winning streak shut off by Lijing Leong. Dropped a split decision to Jeff Neal his last time out. That was a pretty good fight. Uh, I mean, Ponzinibbio's been in the UFC since 2013. So he's been here for a while. Has a very good record. I mean, his only losses, he lost to Ryan LaFlair, who out-wrestled him. He got stopped by Lorenz Larkin. That was a pretty good fight, though. That was fight of the night. That was... 15? I remember that fight vaguely. Yeah. That was a, that was a deserving fight of the night. Then he got knocked up by Lijing Leong and then the split with Jeff Neal. Um, Pieja is... I mean, he's on a four-fight winning streak. But uh, I, th I just think he's a bit too wild. Uh, I mean, he might win this fight. Like, that's certainly possible, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Ponzinibbio, and I don't feel too many reservations about that. Next up, Dushko Todorovic will fight Chidi in Jukwani. Um Chidi had a very successful UFC debut earlier this year. He's the younger brother of, and if you, uh, those of us who were around when the WEC was a promotion will remember Anthony in Jukwani. Chidi is his younger brother, who is actually much bigger than he is. Um, Anthony fought at lightweight, I think. It was lightweight or featherweight. I think it was lightweight because he fought Edson Barboza when they were both in the UFC. I'm going to go with the lightweight on that, but uh, and his brother here fights at middleweight. Uh, Todorovic, 2-2 two two in the UFC. Uh, I'm going to pick Njikwani, but that's a close fight. We have a heavyweight fight, because of course we do. Uh, Jailton Almeida and Parker Porter. I'm going to pick Porter. Let me double-check on Almeida. I want to make sure he is who I think he is. If he's not, that might change my pick. Uh, where are you? That didn't fall out, did it? Because we were going to get Almeida and Maxime Grishin at light heavyweight. Uh, so Porter's stepping in on short notice. Um, JL10 Almeida. Let's see, he is 15 and 2. He 
yeah, he beat Danilo Marquez. He is who I'm thinking of. Okay. I think the size difference is going to be a problem for him here. Yeah, I'm going to pick Porter, but one, I'm not going to be shocked if Almeida pulls that off. And two, again, this is a... The weight class change thing at the last minute is the primary reason. I think Almeida is probably a better fighter than Porter, so he might pull it off. Uh, wouldn't shock me one iota. Middleweight, Eric Anders will fight Park Jun-Yong. Uh, Mr. Park. Uh, Jun-Yong Park. Okay. Family name would be Park. Um, he lost to Gregory Rodriguez. That was a pretty wild fight, though. And Rodriguez is a tough customer, man. He's 3-2. and two. Anders, man. I don't know that I can pick Anders anymore. I mean, he got tapped up by Andre Muniz, but Muniz is... Andre Muniz is very good. Yeah, I'm gonna pick Park. But that's kind of because I don't pick Anders anymore. Also at middleweight, Joseph Holmes and Alan Amadovsky. I feel like this should be Amadovsky, but let me double-check Holmes. Holmes lost, I believe that was his UFC debut when he fought Pickett. Yeah. yeah I think I am going to pick Amadovsky, who has... No, he's 0-2 in the UFC. He's been off since 2019, too. He had, like, three or four fights fall through since then, so... It's like they haven't been trying to get him back, but... Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to pick Amadovsky, but I am very prepared to be very wrong about that. Uh, let's see. Women's strawweight, Poliana Viana and Tabitha Ricci. It's a pretty easy pick for Viana there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Viana. Lightweight, Omar Morales and Uros Medic. That's not a bad fight, actually. Um, Omar... I believe is moving back to lightweight for this fight. I want to say he tried his hand at featherweight when he fought um, Jonathan Pierce. I know the Shang Young... I know the Shane Young fight was featherweight. For Shane Young fights. Let me double check UFC 266 real fast. See the weight class. Yeah, that was featherweight. Which I think is just not a good weight class for him. Yeah, you know, like he started at mid at lightweight and then decided to cut to featherweight, and I think that's been a problem for him. Or did he try his hand at bantamweight once? Uh, where's this fight happening? Yeah, this fight's back at 155, so yeah, I think Featherweight was just not the greatest weight cut for him. Uh, Medic is 7-1 and one overall. 1-1 one and one in the UFC. He kind of got handled by Jalen Turner. But he knocked the stuffing out of Alon Cruz before that. Going to lean towards Morales, but that's a fairly evenly matched fight on paper. 
Uh, another Morales, this time at Bantamweight. Vince Morales and Jonathan Martinez. That's a very good fight, actually. Uh, Morales has been a little bit up and down in the UFC. Uh, it's 3-3, three and three, in fact. But he's got some good wins. Uh, he got stopped by Chris Gutierrez with leg kicks. I remember that. That was a featherweight, not bantamweight. Uh, whereas Martinez... Uh, he's been very active since coming to the UFC in 2018. He is 6-3. He lost to Andre Sukumtot. Had a split decision with Andre Ewell that probably should have gone his way. Then he got stopped by Davey Grant. Uh, yeah, I'm picking Martinez here. I think pretty highly of his abilities. Uh, featherweight fight. Felipe, uh, Felipe Colardes and Chase Hooper. Oh, Chase Hooper. Coming off of a loss. Uh, Colardes has been trading wins and losses his entire time in the UFC. Uh, am I really going to pick Chase Hooper? You know what? Sure, why not? I am not encouraging any of you to bet on this, but I'm going to pick Chase Hooper because it amuses me. And kicking everything off back at straw weight, Sam Hughes and Elise Reed. Uh, Sam Hughes coming off of her first win in the UFC. She beat Estella Nunes back in April. Uh, yeah, that was never going to go. That wound up being a majority decision because Nunes was uh, deducted a point. But that just means that it would have been split, but it still would have gone to Hughes. Whereas Reed. Let's see. One and one in the UFC as well. She beat Corey McKenna. I remember that. That shouldn't have been a split decision. Uh, I'm going to go with Reed, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Reed for that one. So that is the card. Again, another short one that they will still take six hours to broadcast, I'm sure. If you want to stay up to date with that particular event, Saturday in the MMAZona411mania.com. I will be covering it. Please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right. Uh, let's talk about some fights that have been rumored or made recently. Uh, Jim Miller and Bobby Green is look uh, has been added to UFC 276. I am happy. Darn good fight. As always, rooting for Jim Miller, but I like both of those guys. So, uh, 276 is a really good card. The UFC is targeting. I don't believe they've made this official. Uh, let me, I'm going to double check that real fast. So, this would be for the July 30th card. Yeah, the UFC... Okay, I believe this has been announced. The UFC is uh, having an interim flyweight title bout between Brandon Moreno, former champion, and Kai Kerta France. Uh, I I don't love the interim title here, but I assume there's something going on with Davis and Figueredo, although I probably shouldn't, because the UFC is happy to throw interim titles around. You know, if they were as liberal with their bonuses as they were with their interim titles. Um, that I mean, I don't. So again, I don't love the interim title thing being attached to it. That said, that's a good fight. Um. Uh, I will probably lean towards Brandon Moreno, but if he didn't... Rewatching his third fight with Davis and Figueredo, he got into his own head a lot in that fight. That was a winnable fight for him. Uh, and he kind of let that get... He kind of let that slip through his fingers with the way he fought down the stretch. 
if he has not kind of come down to earth from that, this is Kaikara France could easily shock him. Um, 277 also currently... Uh, we don't have a bout order for any of this, but these are the fights they've announced at the moment, at least. Uh, Derek Lewis versus Sergei Pavlovich. God help us all. Magomed Ankolaev and Anthony Smith. That's a very relevant light heavyweight fight. Lean towards Ankolaev. Luke Rockhold and Paulo Costa. That's something. I don't mean that in a negative way. That's something. Uh, Drakkar Close and Carlos Diego Fajaya is a pretty darn good fight, actually. Uh, so there, uh, that's kind of, again, we got a while before that. It's not until the end of July, so plenty of fights still to be announced for that. Uh, I mentioned 276. That's headlined by Adesanya and Cannoneer, as well as Volkanovski and Holloway. And we have uh, Bobby Green and Jim Miller added to that. Uh, that's a that's a pretty darn good card. Uh, I mean, we don't have a bout order, but there's a lot of value on that card. There's a lot. Holy. So I'm just looking at this. That's Adesanya Cannoneer. Great fight. Lean Adesanya. Volkanovski Holloway 3. Great fight. I don't have too much personal appetite for it for reasons I've gone over. Uh, I lean Volkanovski again. You know, if Volkanovski beats Holloway a third time, he said he wants to go up and get an immediate title shot at lightweight. Now, that's a slightly harder sell at lightweight. Because it's lightweight. But tell me that the thought of Alexander Volkanovski and Charles Oliveira isn't awesome. Like, that's awesome. I mean, and of course, that's somewhat assuming Oliveira is still the champion. I mean, Volkanovski against Islam Makhachev, how could you possibly object to that either? Uh, Sean Strickland and Alex Pereja, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big test for Pereja. Like, they're, they're not wasting time with him. Sean O'Malley and Pedro Munoz, that could be something. Andre Muniz, who I talked about a little bit earlier, he's going to fight Uriah Hall. You've got Brad Tavares and Dricus Duplessis, that's pretty good. Uh, you have Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberina. Like, that's got just wild violence written all over it. And then it, the aforementioned Green and Miller. Like, there's going to be value at every level of that card, assuming everything holds together. Uh, let's see, 275. They're still looking for a replacement for... Uh, Marvin Vittori had a fight. They're looking for someone else to fight him, apparently, still. Uh, I mean, 275 has three solid fights. And that's kind of it. Kyung Ho Kong and Dana Batgari is not terrible. Uh, again, it's not the greatest card in the world. But you got two title fights. You got the rematch between Zhang Wei Li and Yuan Yin Jacek. Like, there's uh, so there's some there's some good stuff there. Um, Okada versus Emmett. Is that card filled out? Yeah, they rebooked Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon for that. Um, Adrian Yanez and Tony Kelly. Tony Kelly, who I talked about earlier, uh, with reference to what he said about Brazilians. Uh, there's going to be some heat on that one. Uh, Yanez isn't Brazilian, but... You know, like Gilbert Burns, after the fact, say on Twitter, like, Hey, Yanez, if you stop this guy, I'll, you know, pay, uh, I'll Venmo you a thousand bucks or something. I forget exactly what it was. What was it on that card? Uh, Demiris Magulov and Guram Kutadeladze. That's not terrible. 
Joaquin Buckley and Albert Duraev. That's not terrible either. Yeah, that's one of those cards. I mean, the main event for that card is Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett, and that's great. Cerrone and Lozon, assuming it holds together, that's not bad. Um, I mean, that's one of those that's going to be not great, but not terrible. Do you have anything for Fight Night 208? Uh, we don't have a main event for that. So currently for Fight Night 208, this is the June 25th card. We have Jin Yu Fry and Vanessa Demopoulos, Tim Elliott and Amir Albazi, Josh Parisian, Alan Badeau, Hadolfo Vieira, Chris Curtis, Neil Magny, Shavkat Rachmanov. Magny and Rachmanov is a good fight. That I wouldn't hate if that were five rounds. Just throwing it out there. Tyson Nam and Tagi Rulan-Bekov, Halian Paiva, Sergei Morozov, Armin Saryukin and Mateusz Gamrat's a good fight. Uh, there's some there's some value there if you're a hardcore fan, but there's not really a main event. So they need to get on that. We're not that far away from it. Uh, yeah, and I think everything else for the next couple of weeks is kind of set. Uh, don't think we have a main event for either Fight Night 209 or 210. Yeah, we don't. They're listing for Fight Night 210, Michelle Watterson and Amanda Lemos. I am going to be surprised if that holds together, assuming Watterson's statements about the injury she suffered are correct. Now, that's kind of where we are at the moment. It's uh, you know, Things tend to heat up during the summer for the UFC, so uh, we'll be keeping an eye on any more stuff that is announced, of course, because that's what we do here. All right, also in news, the, Nate, the feud between Nate Diaz and the UFC continues. Nate Diaz posted a picture of himself allegedly urinating on the grounds of the UFC Performance Institute. <laughs> Uh, just he is wildly, wildly dissatisfied with the state of his career. Uh, a lot of people have said they're willing to fight him. I think the UFC is just not offering him anything that they think he can reasonably win. Uh, it's, what am I going to say, man? It's it's a total crap show. He is. Uh. Yeah, he is just going to, he's either going to get a, the last fight on his deal that he thinks is acceptable, or he's just going to keep trying to burn the, everything around him to the ground. Uh, and if you look, if you can read between the lines when it comes to him and what's going on there, I don't say, I, I can't exactly say I blame him. Dustin Poirier kind of mocked him a little bit, saying a real man would have taken a dump. Uh, Forrest Griffin, somewhat amusingly, did the, you know, you could have visited the world-class restrooms that we have here. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I, I don't know what to say, what else to say about that. Like, that relationship has been broken for a long time. And we're just seeing the tail ends of it at this particular moment. Uh, I, I don't know what the UFC is trying to accomplish. I believe Nate, I believe Nate's last fight was the Masvidal fight. So he's already lost that. I don't know. I mean, at this point, you're just you're both stuck in a in a situation where neither of you is going to win anything. I think the only argument there is that the UFC isn't actually going to lose while Nate Diaz is. So I I really just wish that situation would be resolved so everyone can move on. 
Uh, it's just getting a little bit tiring. I think that's everything I've listed for news, so I will check Twitter to see if anything crazy has happened in the MMA space, and if not, we will plug and get out of here. Nope, nothing MMA related. There's a lot of other sports going into uh, the Stanley, like, basketball is in its playoff season, the Stanley Cup's doing its thing, uh, the NHL's kind of winding down their season too, so that's taking up a lot of space. Alright, last week... Uh, my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage and podcast news. I was part of the Damn You Hollywood that reviewed Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So if you're curious about that, punch Damn You Hollywood into whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to be, and you should be able to find that. That was myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and David Wright. Uh, we talked that movie, the good, the bad, the ugly, and all things in between. This week, uh, smaller Damn You Hollywood, but Tuesday will be... One for Firestarter, the latest adaptation of that particular Stephen King novel. The original was done back in the 80s and starred a young Drew Barrymore. Uh, This one is going day and date in theaters and on Peacock, if you think Peacock's a real streaming service. So we'll be reviewing that. Uh, I think that's the only other thing I am doing podcast-wise. Yeah, so the usual, other than that, the usual bit of professional wrestling coverage, that's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. Uh, This week, on Wednesday, I will be covering AEW's Dynamite. The usual Dynamite coverage guy is unavailable, so I did that last week too, actually. Uh, I got called in on short notice to cover Dynamite, so there was that. So... If you're interested in any of that, in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com, I will be doing those live. And if you are interested in my, uh, then in the TV reports section, you can find my thoughts. Uh, then, of course, the UFC event on Saturday, and we will be back here in a week. We will review UFC on ESPN Plus 64 and preview UFC on ESPN Plus 65. That's uh, the June 4th card. It will be headlined... By Alexander Volkov and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. What else is on that card? Yeesh. Wow, we're just in a desert. You know what? Everything... Pretty clear. Like, June and July, things are going to pick up. But boy, are we suffering. Uh, Yeah, there's not a lot on that one to get terribly excited about. Uh, But we will preview it next week, so come back for that, and I will go over whatever news and, of course, results. All right, until then, thank you all very, very much for tuning in. I deeply appreciate it. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.